Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Welcome, everyone, to Liturgy Live for the Feast of Christ the King of the Universe. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. And he told me a really funny joke that I won't repeat right before, so that's why I'm about to crack up. So oh, yeah, you are. You are. So it's, it's a pretty funny joke. I mean, totally inappropriate. But um, anyways, so getting into leadership. So, um, you know, one of the interesting things, when you look at King David and trying to figure out, well, what kind of leader was he or what was his saving quality, right? Because it's interesting. There's, there's the, the stories themselves of the accounts, but then there's how like history views these individuals. And it's clear in ancient Israel, a lot of weight was given to King David. He, he was considered in many ways to be just, but the irony is he, he commits just as many sins as everybody else. In fact, if you remember, he has a, a pretty terrible affair with Bethsaida and has somebody killed so the question is, what is his saving grace? Why is he so loved in the Old Testament? I think, one, there's an element of God's grace, which is God comes to him in his weakness. But there's also a sense, the fundamental quality of David, which is one of the most important qualities in the Old Testament, is conversion and repentance. He repents of his sins. I have often thought about that. That's his saving grace, more so than any other figure in the Old Testament. He is the one who's willing to receive correction. In fact, when prophets have corrected priests, there seem to be only a few circumstances where the king actually listens to the prophet. There's a few after the fall, uh, after the fall of Jer Jerusalem, where, where they go off into um, exile. But really, King David is the one that the, 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 he seems to listen to the prophet. Uh, he seems to accept correction, and he's humble enough to humble himself and to practice that ongoing conversion. I think I want to talk about that a lot with leaders. You know, it's really tough. When we talk about good leadership, I've thought about this because it's it's funny right now is um, in my parish, when I talk about leadership, I literally look out at a room where we have some of the top leaders of Greenville in the room. So it's kind of fascinating. It's like, you know, there's the mayor, there's the richest man in town, and then there's a congressman. And all three of them could be in my church on Sunday. It's like, what do I say to these guys? Like, you know, and what do I say to earn their respect? So if I just say like, well, the key to being a good leader is being humble. Well, yes, but maybe some of these guys aren't that humble or maybe they're not willing to accept correction. Maybe they, I was thinking about a, a few people in particular, not anybody I mentioned just there, but a few other people. Like, how do you recognize, see, there's what can be effective. Sometimes things can be effective, but like, is that good leadership? Is that good spiritual leadership? Is that healthy for you in the long run? I think that's a deeper question. Like, how do you flourish in your role? How do you live with yourself and have a clear conscience? I think that humility is such a key component. Um, but um, I'm trying to figure out how to flesh that out. That's kind of my opening monologue a little bit. It is interesting because I was thinking about this. It's like, I was thinking about this the other day when um, I was giving a homily and I literally looked out and saw one of the richest, most influential people in the whole area. And he's sitting there in the congregation. You're like, 
I'm, I'm talking about business and I'm like wondering, you know, yeah. what's, you know, like, what's his thoughts about that? that how is he going to receive this versus how a normal person <laughs> with normal, you know, regular skills receiving it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's important to think about like what, how the mode of the receiver, right? How, how people receive our teaching in the yeah. church. But I guess the question is, is like, what, what has been my experience with humility and conversion as a leader is, well, I, I, I've always found it frustrating hearing kind of those people who are leaders who like, they always try to give the appearance that they know everything and that they have everything figured out. And, but you know, they don't. It's like in that that illusion, like I think humility in leadership personally, like what I would find inspiring to follow would would be kind of the the role of David where he does fall and he gets back up. So he shows the reality of the humanity even in a leader or the brokenness that we that we deal with, but also shows us a way out of it. And mm. and so to me, people that I see their brokenness and I see their struggle, they seem, they're like, their personality has more depth to me than just this like perfect, you know, facade of a mask of what they want us to see. So I think in leadership, it's important to have some sort of, you know, a little bit of a, you know, forward face of what should be, but also in their story and how they lead, they can say, okay, I had this problem. And this is how it's solved, you know, instead of just being like, I know everything by divine intuition. <laughs> yeah. They don't, cause that's not what happens. It's not real. Well, there, there are some people who like, they're just a lot smarter than everybody else. I don't know. It's yeah. But usually they come by that through some Learn. sort of struggle or some sort of learning, even from other people's issues. And they can, they can communicate that. They're usually pretty good communicators. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's it. Like good communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say, I would say that's, and communication is always other centered. Like I, I think. But, um, but in our time, especially, you know, they say a witness is a better teacher than just somebody who gets up and teaches facts. Somebody who has, is a witness to the, the uh, salvation of Christ and t shares their story is more moving in spiritual leadership than, than one who just teaches yeah. the facts of catechesis. I think I got a good story for this weekend with leadership. So you, you, you just, your, your whole thing that like witness is better. Mm -hmm. It's actually a funny dynamic with the U S military. So if you go around the world to other militaries, the distinction between the officer corps and the enlisted is very marked. So in other cultures, like, the officers are like the upper class, you know, intelligentsia. It is, it is in ours too, but. Uh, well, let me. Okay. <laughs> I know you're, you're, you're the wife of Melissa, man, but I'm telling, <laughs> I'm telling you there's a marked difference. Okay. So my sister's a West Pointer, so hopefully that doesn't trigger you. Some people that could. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, so, but no, she was saying, and like other militaries, like if you go to Iraq, like uh, an officer would not dig a ditch. Or would not like help like so. Um, sorry, I just got a text message. Um, so the one of the things they 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 had officers from all around the world, 
and they had some jobs they had to do because there was no enlisted people there. So the, the American officer was like, all right, get your shovels. Let's do it. Let's, let's build whatever it was. And the other officer was like, I've never done this kind of work ever in my life. Because like in, in those cultures, it's like when we train our leaders, even though, yes, on a regular basis, officers won't necessarily do the work of enlisted people, but they're at least trained that they know how to do it. And like, there's definitely a sense with, and we've all seen, I mean, I feel like it's a common thing in the army and in other parts of like where the, the boss gets down and does a job that like a grunt would do kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which in other cultures, they don't do that. Gotcha. I think at least for our military, they have to at least experience what they're going to be leading exactly. to, to know how to lead it. So I think that's important. I mean, but there is a definite culture d- divide between oh, the yeah, officers and the, and the enlisted. And it's not always, you know, sometimes it's for a good reason. Um, no. You know, culture is culture and hierarchy is hierarchy. So sometimes you just, you learn how to live within it. Um, well, but, you know, the, the big thing is, is um, which I would say right now, um, I'm really looking to uh, focus as the most healthy, and we all talk that I may better talk about focus this weekend is really, really healthy leadership within the church. Um, like the big thing with like all the, the focus system is like, they kind of come through the system. So like they normally start off in a Bible study and then they get discipled, they lead a Bible study, then they become a missionary and then a lot of times, you know, they'll become a regional director. So I think almost everybody within focus, with a few exceptions, like your marketing people, but most of them at one point were missionaries. I think even in the higher echelons of focus, including I think Curtis Martin himself. I think Curtis Martin himself at one point led a Bible study. Right. Was, yeah. And that's also just the journey of discipleship of discipleship. Yeah. And how and how that going through that journey yourself helps lead others to, to the right end. Right. So, yeah. But by the way, that's not the case for like priests and religious, you know, like I, I think, but as for lay people. Yeah. For lay people. But I mean, I mean, I think, no, I think that's a good process, like, like an integrated system. Like, you know, before you, before you play in the majors, you should be in the farm league. Right. Or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, see, and maybe that's also part of the dynamic is. um, Well, not everyone's journey is going to look the same. So formulating something perfect for everyone is just not really feasible. But it's a good outline for a generalized guide of how someone can draw closer to the Lord in terms of discipleship. And in terms of leadership in, lay leadership in the church. Yeah. Makes sense. So, because we all have to grow in in virtue and grow in in human um, development and understanding and uh, maturity, and that is a good way to do to to do that within Bible study groups and then within leading Bible study groups. You know what I mean? It's just a a path kind of a maturity in integration of hum, your, your humanness. Yeah. So. Absolutely, and if we look at really, this is the pattern of like. King David, right? He started as the, the shepherd boy, mm-hmm. worked his way up, proved himself in battle. So that's what we need. We need to go back to like swords. Like leaders have to prove themselves in battle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
can't just send other people to prove yourself in battle. No Saul's here. <laughs> yeah. I so, guess that, that was a big difference between Saul and King David, I guess, right? King yeah. David. And he wanted him to use his armor so other people thought it was him so he could take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard that before. <laughs> I, never, I never heard that interpretation before. Who said that? Oh, I heard a few weeks ago. I don't remember if it was a homily or if it was one of the readings I did. I, you know, it's like so much that my brain. Yeah. It's like, I heard it somewhere, but I thought it was really interesting, but we haven't even read the first reading yet. So let's do that. Oh, well, we were talking about it. Yeah. Read it. Yeah. So uh, from second Samuel in those days, all the tribes of Israel came to David in Hebron and said, here we are your bone and your flesh. In days past, when Saul was, your, was our king, it was you who led the Israelites out and brought them back. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and shall be commander of Israel. When all the elders of Israel came to David and Hebron, King David made an agreement with them before the Lord, and they anointed him king of Israel. Okay, so just a few technical inputs uh, before we continue our, our conversation. Hebron is a, uh, the place where uh, Abraham purchased for Sa his wife Sarah to be buried. He was also buried there. So it's, it has a long historical, uh, it's a long historical like Jewish place um, to be and especially to rule on. So that that is one of the little thing nuggets I discovered, and um, that when they say the King David made an agreement with them before the Lord, another uh, translation says King David made a covenant with them before the Lord, um, that that they would be under him for as king. Mm -hmm. So, anything else? Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to think now. So we talk about this sense of covenant. So there's leadership, and there's also the spiritual dimension. Of right. Of, of a commitment before God, of a spiritual agreement, mm -hmm. um, which... And, and they realized what he did for them. What, what, even though Saul was the king, what David did, even without the power of king, kingliness, kingship, that he led the Israelites, Israelites out and brought them back in. So he, his battle and his, like the way he acted really did like bring this fruit of them having trust and mm -hmm. saying, yes, you are the king. And so he didn't even have to fight in that way. There were some Saul family members after he died that, that wanted to fight him, but the leaders were good. And yeah. this was, this was after Saul died. So. Yeah. Then we could deal with how do you handle persecution as a leader? Because that's part of the, the underlying story, right? David, Saul had been trying to kill him, and, and David always handles it well. Like, that's an interesting dynamic, right? So you talk about loving your enemy, and he's one of the prime examples in the Old Testament of loving your enemy. Um, because he has the opportunity to kill Saul on multiple occasions, but he does it. Um, it's not clear exactly how he was planning on killing Saul in the long run. Cause I mean, even when they finally did kill him, he was very upset with it, but there's yeah. just that. And he, well, he mourned because it was a killing of the anointed of God. 
So it was worthy of mourning yeah. for him because he, even though he was not a great king, he was still God's anointed, which is, you know, he had the respect for the station, you know, yeah. that, that we don't see. We don't, we don't get it. I know, right now we're dealing with dealing with Pope. And it's like, <laughs> There's no respect. <laughs> well, that, well, that, well that, there's the challenges is like King David didn't, David didn't just let Saul kill him. He did resist the king. He formed a resistance against the king. But there was a, a special understanding of the office. Right. And, uh, and he didn't sin. In that way, like David was a sinner and he had, and he did, you know, sh- sh- in the Bible, it shows us some of his, the sins that he, he did have, but that was not one of them. Yeah. Um, in those moments where he needed to be, you know, he had that temptation to kill Saul those times. And he I was tempted now to go back and do like a detailed analysis of the sins of David. Like when does he transgress the law? When does he uphold the law? Because there's there's a fascinating there's fascinating dynamics when he trans he he goes against the law in a way that's um, that's not problematic. So Jesus cites the only reason why we know this I would say is Jesus where he eats the show bread, right? So Jesus cites mm-hmm. that as mm-hmm. an example of when you can transgress the law for a greater good, right? And um, I think he did lie a few times. I think he and and with the the showbread, he asked permission. It wasn't like he stole it. Yeah. So the the yeah the priest gave him permission. But it's it's really interesting when you really look at David's life because I've thought about doing that like more like going back and like comparing the law and like really going through trying to read sources like how did or how did not King David fulfill the law. And with the other kings as well. I think King David, I think of all of them, I think he's the one we know the most about. I think. I'm, I want to go on a limb and say that. There's only like four or five people that we really know a whole lot about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's like Abraham, David, Solomon. Um, that we know extensively. Maybe Israel. Jacob. Yeah, yeah, the, the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But only so- a handful. Yeah, it's it really is interesting, but also it shows, it just shows us how, you know, in in this covenant that he is the ruler. So it's not just the decisions of these these other people. It is before the Lord. So so God has a hand in in this situation of he was already anointed when Samuel in First Samuel when he came out and anointed him when he was young, mm-hmm. even before he killed Goliath. So, right. That's he, he anointed him immediately. Yeah. And um, so he was already anointed in that way as in set aside, right. Yeah. For, for the King position. But at this point it was more of a confirmation of that anointing. Which you got, you got to wonder about that. That's a fascinating dynamic. He had anointed King. What? How long before? Like how long before? Like ten, twenty years? Um, this it, right after this reading, it says that he was thirty years old. So when this he happened, was a teenager. So, mm-hmm. so probably married. fifteen years, maybe. Huh. 
I mean, he was waiting for a long time. So it really, really goes into like the patience and persistence of faith and just believing and trusting in what God has told you will happen, will come to fruition. Like, I really think that's a really part, important part of this reading too, because Christ came in the universe. We have to sit and wait and trust, even with all the chaos and bad leadership and all of that, like we need to trust what the Lord has said to us in his, in his scriptures and, you know, through his sacraments and everything that we trust him through all of that. I think that's one of the more powerful reasons for us to have this solemnity. I mean, cause it's a new solemnity in the church. Yeah. So when, 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 when did it start? I didn't know this. I it is. Know. Yeah. Hold on. I looked it up. It was uh, 1925. Pope Pius the 11th instituted the feast with his encyclical Quas, Quas Primas in the first. What did, what did no. he talk about that? Did it, you it was responding to the growing nationalism and secularism, and he recognized that this it related to the societal ills, which would would breed increasing hostility against the church. This encyclical reminds the faithful that while governments and philosophies come and go, Christ reigns as king forever. Cool. Yeah. That's so cool. so it's... Your homework this week, yeah. <laughs> I try. <laughs> so I was like, I feel like I need to know. Because I, I knew it was recent and I knew it was important and I knew it had to do a lot with, you know, the, the philosophy. It's, it's a little bit in response to, you know, all the chaos happening after the French Revolution mm -hmm. uh, and, and all of the ideologies. But also it comes right after the First World War mm -hmm. and, and the reign of you know, right before the second world war. So it was really important to really think about like, even though these world rulers may come and go and it seems a little chaos that Christ is always King. And so it's like, you know, it, it's interesting that it comes after election time. I think it should come before election time for us, but um, you know, it's not always about America. And, uh, but it's always a good reminder, even after election time that, that even no matter like who rules over us, Christ is always King. And then that's really what our focus, I mean, we, it's important for us to know and be involved and vote, but it's also important for us to trust in Christ. So. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good, that's a good, I think that's a good transition. I think we can pick that back up with the next reading. Right. Let's go into the comments and stuff. We actually have no comments right now. We just got a few more people join us. Um, so if you guys want to leave us a comment, say hi, you're here. I, my microphone is right in front of some of the comment section. That's why I keep leaning over. Um, yeah. And so I will jump into the second reading and then, you know, let people give us prayer requests. Let us know what you think about this feast day and Christ King of the universe. Okay. So from the letter to the Colossians, brothers and sisters, let us give thanks to the father who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the holy ones in light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him we are created, for in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he himself might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things for him, making peace by the blood of his cross, through him, whether those on earth or those in heaven. Okay. So this is really talking, talking about how he is the king of the universe in his divine nature through, you know, the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and he is ruler of the thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. So all of the, the levels of angels and he rules and it doesn't say the good or the evil. He, he is able to rule over and has power over all of them, whether good or evil. Mm-hmm. So anything else? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's so funny. And there's a lot, but yeah, well, I find it so rich these days that, um, I find it, it's like opened my heart. And it's also in a certain sense, radicalized me and maybe in the eyes of some is the centrality of scripture and tradition. Right. And I don't say that like smugly, but the, the whole idea, like the law enlightens the mind, like all of scripture, Christ enlightens the mind. Like he is the center. Now, I, I was talking about this with the marriage prep. And I said, you know, I'm saying, I, I think like five, 10 years ago, I was like, we should be praying with scripture. A few years ago, I was like, we should be reading scripture and studying it, just simplifying it. Now, my thinking is like, if you don't know scripture, what is the foundation for your wisdom? Like, and I, I talk about this in the marriage prep, like, is it Kim Kardashian? Is it, you know, is it, I mean, I like Kanye West now. I mean, I, I got Jesus King. But like, not to knock on Kim Kardashian, but like, is like your wisdom Netflix. Like, what are you filling yourself with? Like, what are you I, consuming? Exactly. And my whole thing is, I, I added a line to Jerome's favorite, famous saying, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And it's also ignorance of who we are. Like, that's like, we, we don't know ourselves until we know God's law, until we know and, and that's the whole Christocentricism of all creation. Right. And, and it's also important to ha- hold that all together because it's, it's praying with scripture. Yeah. So I think all of those, what you went through is like, I would say yes yeah. <laughs> to everything, you know, all of it. Yes. We need to pray scripture with scripture. Yes. We need to study scripture. And yes, we need to know scripture. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not, I don't think any of those steps are wrong. Maybe you just simplified them more and more as you went through, because maybe even people weren't even at the level of being able to study it because they needed to be introduced to it in a different way. Yeah. And, and how important it is for, for us to it's kind of, you knew these things, but had to go b- about them in kind of the reverse order for other people to receive them and have, so they would, you know, receive scripture and then study it and then be able to pray with it. Exactly. And, and, and how important it is for us to do that. But we really need those things. We really need to people to think about that, to be able to break it down in ways that people can receive it. Because yeah. it really is a pedagogy. It really is walking with Christ, walking with those who understand the steps necessary. Because you can't just be like, pray with scripture. And people will be like, I don't know how to do that. I don't, it's hard 
it's hard to approach scripture if you don't know anything about it. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, I feel like this, I mean, I've said it a few times, but this podcast has helped me approach scripture and be able to pray the scripture in a much easier way when it was really difficult. It was overwhelmingly daunting, you know, before. So that makes sense. One, just that, that conversation around it, uh, the small groups have that conversation around scripture, which is why I'm actually, I I wish I could do more of it here at Newman. I'm going to, my next assignment, wherever I go, one component I'm going to give is give regular like lectures and classes, like me teaching kind of like this kind of, not maybe this format where it's a dialogue, but like giving longer, longer teachings with questions and conversation. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Like, I, I mean, I don't know why priests feel intimidated doing that. Like we have a master's degree. It's like interesting. Like you'd think more you, I mean, cause I've never like when I was in Fayetteville, I never, I mean, there was plenty of priests who could have done it given like a half hour lecture on, you know, King David or whatever it might be, or explore different topics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, there's also so much administration and other things that are, you know, the priests have to do that, you know, it, it just falls off priority yeah right yeah um probably you got the deacons man <laughs> um but, yeah. but also i think it's it's really important to for us for for people to be it, it, for it to be normally talked about that's why yeah. i like that like this podcast situation and other podcasts where we're just talking about typology about like spiritual background and, and the fathers like and and how do we discern these mm-hmm. things, like I think, just having it being something something that we talk about normally in everyday life and in conversation, I think that's also a part of what's important. That that I think we are doing, a, a, you know, not to be prideful at all, but I think we're we're a good part of that. Like that's yeah, right. what we're doing that I think is being done well, and and how just making it something that we can talk about. That's then people can listen and enjoy join in with your. Um, comments and everything and it's just we can make it normal like talking about scripture is normal and wanting to learn about scripture it's a good thing and it's not overwhelming and we can do it if i can do it it, anybody can do it (laughs) you do bite sizes exactly bite sizes one one piece of scripture at a time right and different things inspire different people so like you're you're way more inspired by like the spiritual fathers and like the really deep down like intellectual like thinking about the spiritual life, and I'm way more inspired originally by typology and like the Scott Hahn like how he discovered everything was interconnected. That really really got me into like wow that's cool I didn't know that I want to learn more. You know what I mean? So like coming at it from different angles is also will get more people interested in different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the Christology, Christ at the center of all. Um, well, that's, you know, have you ever heard the idea of a false self, true self? I haven't talked about this in years. Um, it's, it's a common concept. Um, Merton talks about it, um, but it's even before that, like Daily Bach, and, which is when you strip away all of the sins what emerges is our identity as other Christ. So the things that are keeping you from being Christ-like are illusions. Because ultimately you're meant to be a kind of other Christ for the world. 
Um, and that's, that's more me putting a, a, a theological spin on it. See, there's also other layers to it with um, some of the writers on it, um, that, that like some of our compulsions and some of our weird behaviors. Um, I think even like psychology talks a little bit about a true self and a false self. Um, where, and the true self is when like everything is integrated, like how you see the world. Because I, I don't know if I want to touch on this. I was talking about before, should I talk about things that like for my life or whatever? The one thing I've seen lacking a lot of times in leadership within the church, ironically, not so much outside the church. Believe it or not, the, the one thing I found with like businessmen and like leaders outside of the church is they're always integrating their leadership with ha- their spirituality. Like it's much more common for a businessman to integrate his spirituality in some kind of meaningful way than sometimes it is for a priest. Cause you'll, you'll experience it. Like it's, it's a really common thing for like 30 or 40 years. You'll hear a preach who priest who's all about preaching about love and mercy, but then like their leadership style is like a tyrant. Does that make sense? Okay. So they're not fully integrating the ideas with, they're not pastorally applying their own preaching. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the, the problem is, is when you, when you're only love and mercy in a weird, a limited kind of way, mm-hmm. it doesn't account for the fact that you have to be aggressive sometimes that you have to like stand up and fight. Like, so like, and that's the, 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 and also the element of justice. My sister has a theory that the profound thing that's lacking right now is justice. Um, which I've seen it over and over again. Um, yes. I think what's lacking is the integration of mercy and justice. So, yeah. cause I think there is definitely a lot of people who want a lot of justice and there's a lot of people who want a lot of mercy and then we need to be able to kind of bring them together and, and integrate the mercy and the justice together um, to have that balance. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a paradox. You know, it's, it's a paradox in God, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a paradox that we kind of have to figure out the sweet spot of mercy and justice where they, where they can come together because Christ is mercy and Christ is justice together. Yeah. So, so that's where to be oh. other Christs, we also need to f- figure it, figure that out. Which I have, uh, one of the things I've had a hard time with, because I haven't found any sources to back it up. I've actually found for me the best way to understand mercy for me personally is understanding it in a purely legalistic way, like in a legal kind of framework, which is mercy is a setting aside of the law when, when appropriate. So for example, a judge, when you come before a judge and you're sorry and you're repentant and the judge sees conversion, he shows mercy because the, the punishment wouldn't add anything to Right. True mercy only comes in, in recognition of reality and, and recognition of reality is repentance. Yeah. Injustice. So, so, and the one who gives mercy is Christ and is, you know, through the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So it's not necessarily outside of our, you know, it's not outside of our teaching. You know, mercy is obviously something that Christ came and we have divine mercy and it, it was important for him, for us to trust in his mercy and not despair. So it's important for us to not lose mercy, but also to have mercy within the justice. So we have to recognize and repent and, you know, prepare the, light, the way of the Lord, you know, that we're about to go into Advent and really prepare our hearts in that way, right? To receive 
you know, Christ as a, as an infant at Christmas, but also it's also in preparation for the second coming. It's the parousia. So in justice, we have to repent, but also Mm -hmm. trust in the mercy. So it has to be both. So, cause I have heard, actually I've heard lately way more about justice than I have about mercy, but I know it's been like 20, 30 years of mercy, 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 mercy. Really? So, like, what, what context? I'm curious. Oh, because I'm, I hang out with way more traditional focus minded oh, people. Gotcha. <laughs> and, and so no, I'm more of the, we're, we're radicals. <laughs> so, but That's I also cool. feel like I'm, I, in that conversation, I am definitely one who's like, I'm not going to give up on the mercy, you know, and, and I will still say like, yes, I agree, but also mercy. Yeah, like, I gotta, together. I gotta, I'm going to research this more because there are a few different strains of mercy. So what will really throw you off is St. Thomas Aquinas gets into the metaphysics of mercy. I, I, I'm still trying to figure this out. So don't quote me on this, <laughs> but he starts off with a metaphysical definition of mercy, which is mercy within God. and and justice within God. And he says, within God, there is no um, contradiction between mercy and justice. He says, mercy is applying that which is deficient, and justice is giving to each what is due, I believe, something like that. Those are some of the definitions he provides. But I think what it is, is going back to, you know, you talk about love. So there's a metaphysical definition of love, and then there's a feeling of love. The same thing with mercy. He actually says there's a power. Just going to go there. Yes. <laughs> Good. Yeah. We're, on the sa- we're in the same place of, okay, we say mercy, but what, do, what does that mean? What is that definition? Just like we have to define charity, you know, and Thomas Aquinas says, you know, to will the good of the other as other, right? As separate from oneself, even if it does bad things to oneself, to will the good of someone else is charity, is agape love, right? So what does mercy mean? in reality, in Christ's mercy, like what kind of mercy are we supposed to cling to and what type of mercy in quotations are, is really false mercy and we're supposed to reject? Well, maybe not false mercy. Maybe it's more tied with the emotion of mercy, which is, I feel bad for someone. Right. Or is it misguided compassion? Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, cause that's also a problem, but it doesn't mean we can't throw the real mercy out with with misguided compassion. Like it has to be defined and retained. And, and that's what kind of like how I feel about it. Like, let's make sure we retain the reality of the mercy that Christ wants to give us and reject the kind of how it's been implemented in ways that are confusing. And, And I will say to this, one of the challenges sometimes lay people have is you don't actually sit across from somebody who has a complex situation. So that's like, I've sit across situation. I've seen. You're situ- sitting across from me right now. <laughs> that was a joke. All right, go ahead. Finish. No, but like with like for example, the big one is the divorce and remarried stuff. Like, and you'll you'll hear a sad song, and like you feel that compassion. You the passion of mercy is I think Saint Thomas Aquinas. Like you feel that. Like you're like man, I wish like I wish this law didn't exist, kind of thing. Right. But there's something about that that. The, 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 yeah, with the emotions is looking past them a little bit. We need to get to the gospel. We're but, not gonna... but also, like, in that situation, the mercy is walking with them through that yeah. and not ignoring it and not allowing them to be there in it alone. That's actually a great insight because the, the gut reaction is 
Your emotion is, I just want to make them feel good. What the deeper love is, is you have to kind of, like I had a really tough case and it's worked out great um, where a family came to me and um, I'm trying to think how much I could tell it would be appropriate. I think that, I think, I don't think they'd mind. And um, they're, they're on birth control and really complex situation, just really complex. And I said, look, I'm not going to like, I didn't try to force their hand on anything. I just kind of walked with them. And eventually they embraced all the church teaching, but it took like a good year. Like I was meeting with them for like a year. And that's, and it takes the pedagogy. It takes the walking with, and that's what, you know, the real mercy looks like. That's really what the agape looks like, the willing, the good of the other, but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes, you know, all of you to really be in that moment and, and work with these people. And that's the mercy we're lacking. You know, when we're calling for mercy, it's really, that's the mercy we need with each other. Um, to really live with each other in, in that humility, in that truth yeah. of like, this is what the teacher teaching is. And it's hard. Yeah. And, and life is hard. And we, you've made decisions in your life that maybe you didn't understand at the time, but you have to deal with the consequences of them right now. And then, and then we'll, we'll walk with you through them. And so that's the kind of, when I say, you know, and also one of the things is that we, we have to walk with people. And if, we just say things that are justice without charity. You know, we're St. Paul says we're clashing gong and symbol. And, yeah. and I really feel like being charitable in, in our yearning for justice is important. Absolutely. I feel like, I feel like some of that is lacking and Absolutely. it's, and it stresses me out. <laughs> makes sense. Okay. Are you ready for gospel? Yep. Hold on. Wait, we do have, we do have comments now. Uh, Father Vitalis says, I want to thank you for you both for this ministry you have undertaken. Thank you, Father. Thanks. And Josh Jixson is joining us again. Thanks, Josh. He says, I'm off work for two weeks, working on youth ministry and listening to you guys. Thanks, Josh. Well, thanks, man. He, he also says, mercy and justice require humility. If we see things the way they truly are, then we accept them both, accept both God's mercy and justice. It's a good point. Surrendering the lens we want to see through and look through the lens of being yoked to Christ because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. Stuff. Yes. It's hard to get to the point of the yoke. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of where, where I'm feeling. It's once you understand the yoke and once you kind of see the lens that are introduced to the lens that we're supposed to see through, it's easier to accept Christ's yoke. But when it, looks hard mm-hmm. and feels hard it's much more difficult for people absolutely all right so the gospel of luke cool. the rulers sneered at jesus and said he saved others let him save himself if he is the chosen one the christ of god even the soldiers jeered at him and as they approached to offer him wine they called out if you are king of the jews save yourself Above him, there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same for you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been 
condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes, but this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, cool. so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's crazy. I mean, this is what we hold up as perfection, right? This is what we hold up as perfect love. This is the, the icon of Christ's kingship, the icon of leadership. I think, there's, I think there's a few ways we can meditate on it. We can meditate on it. Um, um, we can meditate on it according to the flesh, like the imagination, using our imagination to connect it with it. But we can also understand the, like the archetypical patterns, right? So Christ pours himself out even when people don't understand him, even when they don't appreciate what he's doing for them, he gives of himself. There's that sense of freedom, which I think is often an important quality in leadership, right? Like doing what is right, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not always understood. Um, and I think there's those archetypal patterns, but there's also just imagining. I've actually, you know, it's funny. I mean, this sounds hilarious because it's like, duh, I should be doing this all the time. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus being tortured. like. And just trying to like play in my mind, like me being tortured or like really like thinking about the wounds, like the blood, the, like the physical, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know, not weird. I know, I mean, I know it's totally a part of the tradition, but it's funny when you say it out loud and like you say it to people, yeah. you're like. It's not part of tradition of now, <laughs> of like actually focusing on that. I actually, um, a lot, of, I have a, a illuminated rosary book it's for children but really for anybody who needs the visual help of when you're praying the rosary the, the having the all of the historical visuals of of the um mysteries and a lot of the, the a lot of the uh, sorrowful mysteries like i can't pray it that way because he's it, it's beautiful art and everything but he's just like clean on the cross and i'm like that's not i don't feel like i can pray right now with him just not even being bloody at all you know what i mean like it's this already looked like he was glorified body healed beauty. we have the passion of christ now right yeah i mean i just use the same i don't know story. if i can handle that either like i need i need an in-between never tell you i showed i showed i showed the image of jesus on the cross from the passion when i do this exercise with couples oh man they're like they look at oh i wish i'd take pictures of their faces because yeah we're talking about love and it's, it's a cool exercise. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, to, to fill out a square for this week, Bishop Barron, you know, shows like one of the gorier paintings and, and when he's talking about the Beatitudes, he says, this is what the Beatitudes is. That when you are, when you are thinking about, about the Beatitudes, it is this gory picture of Christ on the cross. Yeah. This is the, you know, humble of heart. And, you know, all of the things that he's asking us to do, this is what it looks like. And that's why it's so radical and, and to really be, to think about it in that way. And also this is what our sin does. You know, like, oh, so that old traditional, that old traditional meditation, like imagine Christ being beaten and then like your sins have put him there. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Like I, I, cause so I don't know if you know about the Catholic creatives group. They got me fired up. This is probably like six months ago. They're good people. I mean, I'm part of the group. We were Catholic creatives and they were talking about stations of the cross. They're like, yeah, we, we need a stations of the cross. That sounds so guilt trippy. <laughs> and 
no. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was the, that was one of the quotes from one of the artists in the group. But, yeah. um, but, but I, I've often wondered though, like what I would love to do is to do research on the mental health benefit of these meditations. Cause like, I, I know it seems very counterintuitive, but I almost wonder if like somebody who's depressed, like walk through a meditation on the cross or like in the order, like saying Natius represents it in the spiritual exercises. And like, and then there's also like the ongoing accompaniment and discernment. It's like the spiritual direction. Like, okay, when you're overwhelmed by the idea of being a terrible person, when you're meditating on the cross, that's the work of the enemy. Why don't we shift this a little bit? Why don't we shift our imagination? Because mm-hmm. ultimately we're looking for consolation, even with contrition. Mm-hmm. That's the thing you're saying, Ignatius. Sorrow for sins and contrition is a consolation. Which, so depression is not sorrow for sins, at least true contrition. Right. That makes sense? Yeah. And, and it's important to also then, in those moments, this is how much I am loved. Yeah. That, that even transcending time, like we can be there. And this is part of the consoling heart of Jesus too, when, about yeah. how, how to really sit and be with Christ and in those moments of suffering, to just console his heart, to just say, like, I'm here sitting with you in your suffering, just yeah. to be with you and to understand what it's like to console somebody who's really suffering. So that when it's not just about me, Christ, can, you know, in that moment, it then the fruit of that is being able to console someone, your neighbor. So loving God and then taking that knowledge and growth and loving, loving your neighbor in there and consoling them. Yeah, what if you, I mean, I mean, what if you like use like the passion of Christ? This is why we, this is the beauty now of the 21st century where we need a, 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 rent of, a renewal within Catholic piety is now we have movies. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, but we need to like make good ones. The passion of Christ. I mean, yes, but I mean like other good ones. Yeah, other good ones. <laughs> but like, if you think about it, like using your imagination, like are you the beloved disciple John or the blessed Virgin Mary? Like I almost even, I almost wonder, if like, um, I wonder if this would be if the, how this would go over. Imagine yourself like the Blessed Virgin Mary in that scene where she like kisses the feet of Christ, and like she has the blood on her, and like and then she like imagining the smell of blood or like you know, mm-hmm. or you she's holding him afterwards and she's probably just covered in it. Yeah, you know, Which, like in that movie, it's like it really brings it out. Like, mm-hmm. it was definitely not as. Crisp and clean as a Pieta. <laughs> I mean, I love the Pieta. I would spend hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say the relationship between the passion and the Pieta is the passion is like according to the flesh, so to speak, or more in the body of the meditation. The the Pieta is more like the archetypes or the the deeper wisdom that goes beyond the senses, the the, the deeper contemplation. Yeah. I think there's a place for both. And there's a there's a um, contemplation uh, of the Stations of the Cross that we used to do. Um, the women's group used to do it, and it was from Mary's perspective. Yeah. It was from the perspective of watching. And was of, it good? I th- I thought it was very moving. Yeah, you liked it? Okay. Uh-huh. I mean, like as a mother and as women, like to be to be in to feel the emotions that she might have, you know, like possibly have felt of like watching 
her son go through these struggles. It was very moving. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's just a different perspective of perseverance of, of how she pondered these things, you know what I mean? And didn't sin within, with all of the stuff going on. It's an overwhelming thought. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the, the stations this year for a Lent. Yeah. We got to get through Advent and Christmas first. Okay. <laughs> There's only something to look forward to. I'm already thinking about Lent, man. I, I, I want to try to break my record on fasting. I'm, I'm really like every year I'm thinking that's a, one thing I've started to do is like what everybody else is saying. I just do the opposite. <laughs> like everybody else is like, it's on a competition. You know, <laughs> take it easy. Like it's a competition with myself from left year. <laughs> and everybody else. I'm yeah. trying to win. I'm trying to win. Oh, Lent. Funny. I'm trying to win Lent this year. All right. Cause I love the idea. I mean, I, I never brag about it, but like, I love the idea of coming to the end of Lent. Like you know how much I fasted. <laughs> Heck yeah, buddy. You're like, I'm going to brag about it right before Advent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just preparing for Lent. Yeah. Immensely, i got to prepare way in advance. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but... Um, we have uh, Ryan Fisher joining us. He says, hi there. I was listening, and you all were awesome as usual. Thank you, Ryan. Oh, thanks, Ryan. I was driving to pick my kids up at school. They frown upon it when you forget them. <laughs> Logan and Spencer, say hi. Hi, Logan and Spencer. How are you guys doing? Shout out. I, wait, who, did I forget them? No, or they, no, no, no. They frown upon it when he doesn't pick them up. So that's why he was oh. not chit-chatting with us. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. But thanks for taking the second to do that, Ryan. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And, um, so those, those are the, the uh, comments right now. There's no I, I hate to say no this. prayer requests. Due to uh, bathroom, I'm going to okay. need to. Go now? Okay. Yeah, but we'll, we'll pray and then, sorry. That That's okay. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray for Alana, for her husband, for her family. Pray for Ryan, for his family. Um, also, Ryan, help Ryan out as he's looking for a job, or if he's got a job, help help him with that. Um, we pray for all those who will watch or listen to this. Pray in a special way for all the priests who are struggling, those who are going through times of turmoil. Please ask your Holy Spirit to descend over all who will watch or listen to this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. So take me to the fountain I seek. It's welling up, it's welling up in me. me. Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.